welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. The time is 7.34. It's Tuesday, July 28th, and on behalf of the EOT team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Ian Grice. This week, we have a look into the trial that will determine if North Carolina's Republican leadership passed a bill with the intent to suppress voter populations by Gavin Stone. Later, we tell you about the $52 million deal that the city of Raleigh made with the state to establish a destination park and improve mental health treatment across the state. And Kevin Cronk talks with University Recreation to find out about the changes coming to Carmichael. On this day in 1868, the 14th Amendment was officially adopted into the U.S. Constitution. The amendment guaranteed African-American citizenship and reaffirmed the privileges and rights of all citizens. On this day in 1978, National Lampoon's Animal House a comedy about 1960s college fraternity starring John Belushi opened in U.S. theaters. This has been a day in history. For the community calendar, Beautiful Alchemy, an art exhibition sponsored by the Office of Raleigh Arts, will be on display beginning August 5th at the, at the Miriam Preston Art Gallery in the Avent C. Upchurch Government Complex at 222 West Hargert Street. The exhibition will continue until September 18th. In the exhibition, artists Brandon Corduroy and Melinda Pine explore the impact of technology and media in their college and mixed media works. They use the layering of various media to represent the metamorphi and transformative power of, of technology over individuals. An opening reception will be held in the Block Gallery on Friday, August 7th, from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., in conjunction with First Friday Raleigh. The gallery is open from 8.30 a.m. to 5.15, Monday through Friday, except on holidays. That's all for the community calendar. Governor Pat McCrory and Mayor Nancy McFarlane announced today that the state of North Carolina has finalized the sale of Dorothea Dix. In April, the city agreed to purchase the Dorothea Dix property from the state for $52 million. The transaction was completed and Raleigh is now the official owner of the 307-acre property. McCrory said that the capital will benefit from a new destination park and will honor the legacy of Dorothea Dix by dedicating all proceeds, nearly $52 million, to improving mental health services across the state. Today's agreement upholds the two parties' common goals of providing funds for mental health care and space for facilities for the Department of Health and Human Services consistent with the development of a destination park for the people of Raleigh and North Carolina. McFarland said she encourages the community to engage with the park visioning and public input process in the next stage of park planning and development. The 307-acre property, which contains the Dorothea Dix Hospital and dozens of administration now used by state agencies, is located near downtown Raleigh. The site has primarily served as a mental health treatment facility since the first patient was admitted in 1856. However, the hospital was closed in 2012 after most services were transferred to the Central Regional Hospital in Butner. Under the terms of the sale, the state will retain for up to 25 years the use of the property that currently contains office buildings used by the Department of Health and Human Services. The state will lease back from the city approximately 109 acres for its use. Part of the leased property could be used by the state for up to 10 years and other parts for up to 25 years. The state will be responsible for the maintenance and upkeep of the leased property. House Bill 589, Dramatic Rewrite Voting Rights Trial Opens Old Wounds The trial to determine whether a bill passed by North Carolina's Republican leadership in 2013 carried an explicit intent of suppressing voter populations that tend to vote Democratic continued this week in Winston-Salem. The bill included provisions that moved polling sites off of college campuses, shortened the early voting period by seven days, eliminated same-day registration, and required voters to present photo ID at the polls. The North Carolina NAACP, Department of Justice, and several other groups and individual students have joined the lawsuit against Governor Pratt McCrory and the state of North Carolina. The plaintiffs charged that McCrory's additions to House Bill 589 put disproportionate strain on poor, black, Latino, and young voters, echoing sentiments that led to the passing of the Civil Rights Act in 1965. 
House Bill 589 was originally passed as a voter ID bill similar to that of other states and was only 16 pages long. However, when the Supreme Court struck down Section 5 of the Civil Rights Act, thus allowing states to change their voting laws without federal approval, the bill was extended to 57 pages and packed with extra restrictions. The bill then passed the House and Senate within two days of the Supreme Court's decision after stagnating in the Senate for two months, raising suspicions among opponents of the bill. Since then, Governor McCrory has softened the legislation by adding an amendment, which allows those who can prove that they do not have a photo ID due to factors outside of their control to vote using alternate methods of identification. Because of this, the voter ID portion of the legislation will not be discussed. This series of events was the subject of much of the questions directed to Senator Josh Stein, who took the stand on July 21st. Stein said that this action by the Republican leadership is the most dramatic rewrite of election laws in a generation, and that he does not believe that the bill was intended to protect voter integrity. Stein also said that he could not recall any debate on the Senate floor as to the discriminatory aspects of House Bill 589, which is uncommon when a bill deals with fundamental rights such as voting. One of the witnesses to take the stand on Tuesday was a member of a Get Out the Vote group who worked with students during the 2014 election cycle. The defense found several issues with her testimony, focusing on the fact that she could not name any students who did not or could not vote due to House Bill 589, though she said she knew countless students who were unable to vote. Other student witnesses testifying via recorded video explained their struggles with not being able to vote outside of their precincts and dealing with the changes in the laws. Peter Levine, a research professor in philosophy at Tufts University, with an expertise in the fields of public policy and civil engagement, testified on July 20th that voting is a habit-forming activity and that a person is more likely to vote in the future if they vote when they are first eligible. Levine cited data that showed a lower baseline of voter turnout when they did not vote early in life. The plaintiff's line of questioning revealed that this trend comes from the psychological effect that voting has, which Levine said is a feeling of confidence or feeling, quote, like a voter. In addition to building confidence, Levine said that by voting, you were put on a contact list, which increases the likelihood that you will be contacted by political groups, which data shows also increases the likelihood of voting in the future. The defense attempted to find weaknesses in his report by tracing the limits of his research, which only compared the data from the 2010 and 2014 elections. In comparison, Levine's research found that young people were less likely to vote in 2014, which has been referred to throughout the proceedings as a blockbuster election because of the outrageous amount of money that was spent by the primary candidates. Levine's research revealed that though college students are in the minority of potential young voters, they are more likely to vote than students who do not go to college. The defense at one point attempted to nullify the argument that young voters were purposefully discriminated against by suggesting that their numbers were too small to sway an election. In response to this, Levine referred to the 2000 election when approximately 500 votes in Florida decided the election. A former precinct judge speaking on a condition of anonymity said that she is having a hard time seeing the defense's side of the case. She said, we should be making voting easier for people, not harder. After leaving the courtroom July 22nd, hopefully the judge will be impartial. This has been Gavin Stone for Eye on the Triangle. Today we're going to be talking about the renovations that are taking place currently at Carmichael Gym. I have with me Jason Spivey, the Associate Director of University Recreation, who is leading the project. Jason, how are you? Oh, doing well. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, of course. Did you just come from work now, and is there a lot of work to be done? Yeah, I actually just walked over from Carmichael Gym, and uh, this morning took a walk through the space and just seeing what all is happening, and lots of demo and lots of, you know, sledgehammers banging, you know, tools being slung around, just breaking down walls and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. So when did this project begin, and how long have you been planning it for? 
Yeah, so construction, we actually just started a demo about three weeks ago, but we've been in the process of planning for well over a year, just trying to get all the pieces in place and making sure we're getting out of that project what we really want to get. And, and we anticipate it going for, you know, really impacting us in, this, in the fall semester and, and hopefully turning something really cool back over to the students that they'll really appreciate and enjoy being a part of. Heck yeah, of course. So why are these renovations taking place? How did this project come about? Yeah, so I mean, Carmichael Gym, as many people probably know, was built in 1961. And, you know, unfortunately, particularly in the locker room areas, we really haven't impacted those since 1961. And so I think as we try to keep up with uh, what students that attend NC State expect and, and should deserve, you know, it's time for us to really get in there and, and make better space. And one of the big challenges for us was just trying to open it up and make it more inviting. And if you've ever been in Carmichael Gym, you know, there's just long, long corridors of space. And, uh, it's really a chance for us to, to really clean it up, make it nice and new, and, you know, really make it more inviting for, for everybody. Yeah, I know. Those long halls are like walking through some sort of old hospital or something. It's kind of creepy, to be honest. Yeah, and hopefully hopefully we keep it as clean as a hospital, but, you know, for sure it's, uh, it's definitely long corridors in that space. So the gym is pretty big. Where exactly will the work be done? Yeah, so the work's actually being done in, in really the oldest part of the gym, um, you know, where, where most students would enter the main entrance to the facility, if you think about that space, and, and underneath courts one through eight, the basketball court. So if you think about underneath that, that's really where everything's being renovated at this time. Can you give us an overview as to the changes that will come out of the first half of this project, the locker room renovations? Yeah, so, you know, the, the project's really broken up into two phases, and really the intent behind that was for us to be able to, to maintain locker room access throughout the project. Um, and so in the first phase, um, the majority of locker rooms get, get uh, demoed and, and rebuilt. We're going to add about 5,500 square feet of more fitness space, which is something we truly, truly need um, just to make sure that we have enough equipment and areas for students to work out and exercise in. We're also going to open corridor space and just make the, the, the space more inviting and easier to navigate. We're going to address some code issues in the building of just egress and making sure that if we had it, something happened there, people can get out safely. And then a lot of just mechanical stuff, kind of the, the dirty things behind the scenes, but making sure that the, the air handling units and plumbing issues we have in the building and things like that are all getting repaired in that first phase. Okay, yeah, definitely, especially about the code issue. <laughs> That's right. We want to make sure it's safe, right? We want to make sure that we're, we're keeping up with what needs to happen. All right, so what will the other half of the project, which I think you already sort of addressed, but the fitness center expansion project, what will that add or change? We think about it all as really one big project. So in the first phase, we'll actually add the new fitness center space. And then the second phase really just goes in and demos those temporary locker room spaces that we were keeping open to maintain access throughout the first phase. So, yeah, so it's really all one big project all lumped together. And, you know, the locker room and fitness center expansion, updating those locker spaces we had available during the first phase. What kind of new equipment and tech will there be once everything is complete in the new fitness center? Yeah, so I think some of the coolest things we'll add is, uh, you know, fitness cardio pieces will have will have personal viewing screens on them. So, you know, instead of like the traditional big TVs at the top of like a fitness room, you'll be able to go in and just plug in right on the machine you're working on and, and, and either watch a TV program or whatever or, you know, do some surfing on the Internet or something like that if you choose to. I'm not sure how you surf the Internet and, you know, run on a treadmill at the same time, but... <laughs> Somehow it happens. Uh, so we're going to have that in there. And then we're also going to bring a lot more functional training stuff in. So, you know, kind of the, the cool things like that kind of trend that's in the fitness industry now and just trying to provide opportunities for folks to, to come in and just do some exercises and routines like that with some of the new equipment that comes in, which would be kind of cool. Very different than just the traditional weights and cardio pieces. Okay, so you've got some body weight equipment? 
Absolutely. Yeah, very much body weight kind of stuff, you know. It, it, it's, but it's very purposeful, which will be really cool. How will students' gym experience be affected during this process? I know you said they'll still have locker access. What else? Yeah, so I think the, the biggest impact is just navigating the facility. So during the project, the main entrance is shut down during phase one. And so right now we're, we're entering the building through the aquatic center. And so really that's one of the biggest impacts. I think um, we do lose some small fitness spaces that were kind of up front by the new entrance during the project, but uh, we've got plenty of other fitness space open, you know, the third floor of the rec center, 1308, 1309, which are down in the 1987 portion of the building. will all stay open and accessible throughout the project. So um, we are maintaining locker room access like we've talked about. So I think from that impact, it really should be pretty minimal. I mean, it's going to be a little cramped and a little tight, but uh, once we, once we, if we can bear with it for, for six months or so, I think once we get there, it's going to be a, a well-received renovation. Yeah, it'll definitely be worth the wait. Could you explain maybe how this is being funded and will there be some sort of student or non-student fee increase? Yeah, sure. So it's, it's, it, is, it is student fee funded um, and the funding was actually approved um, a couple of years ago. So we went through the whole fee review process um, and, and I think we've done a really nice job of, of just laying out projects that, that we feel we need to address at Carmichael to make sure that our rec center is up to the par um, and standards that the students of NC State really want to have. And so, um, you know, we've, we've gone through and been able to propose all that and show what we're thinking about doing and, and why we're trying to get it done. And, and it's been very well received. And so, yeah, so it is a student fee funded project and uh, there should be no new increases with this project, um, you know, because we've already gone through that. Okay, so it's just going off of whatever we're already paying anyways. That's okay. right. Okay, that's cool. All right, what would you say is the most interesting change or update out of all of this just the look of the locker rooms. Like if you go in to the locker rooms that were built in 1961, I mean, they were old, old metal lockers that had been there for, you know, the last 50 years. And you're going to go in now and it's, 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 you know, our intent is to really have just this high end spa style locker, you know, and I think students that come to schools now really, I mean, they want to be wild. And I think this renovation, if you, if you were in there before and you come and see it now, you're going to be wild. Which actually moves on to my next question. NC State's been wowing students recently. I mean, Hunt was a huge project. They just completed New Tally. Was all this construction coincidental, or did State just really need an overhaul? I mean, I think some of both. Honestly, I think that it's coincidental that they've happened in the time they've happened, but there's also planning that happens just to make sure that, you know, the university can support this amount of construction as well as the students. You know, we don't want to throw 100 projects on and, and just, you know, burden students with that or the university. And so I think it's, it's very well planned out and structured. And again, I do think that, I mean, the universities, we've got a lot of history here at NC State. And, you know, we've got a lot of buildings and a lot of structures. And, and, you know, sometime you have to come in and just make some changes to make improvements and really continue to attract students and, and give students that are at campus, you know, really the facilities they deserve. And so I think some of both. Okay, so a little of both. I can't complain, though. The updates look great. And I know myself and a lot of other students really love them. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're, we're going to continue to try to make it better. And, you know, again, I think it's just trying to, to be the best that we can be at NC State and for the NC State community. As far as I can understand, this is the second part of the overall recreational sports master plan for renovations. What was the first? Yeah, so the first part was really just um, just the front center entrance. Um, you know, before we talked about these long corridors in Carmichael Gym, well, that corridor came all the way to the front of the building, and we just really was a really non-inviting space for students to come to the facility. And so the first project just opened up that corridor space. Um, it provided, you know, some additional 4,000 square feet of, of fitness area. And then uh, 
you know, just again, a more welcoming lobby and portal entrance to the building. So it's a small little quick hitter. Um, this is the second big project and, and really just trying to expand the locker rooms and add more fitness center space and update that area. So that's, that's, that's number two. That's number two. So what more is to come in the future? Yeah, so I think the next big one for us that we're really excited about is is, is the East Wing renovation, and and that really just makes it's our, our one of our final chances to really make Carmichael Gym right. Um, it's really being driven and led by students. We we've we've done a lot of work to try to get student input and student feedback on what this process should look like, and you know, really us as University Recreation are just the keepers of data to say, hey, here here's what the demand says we need, and and here's how we feel we can achieve it. And our hope is as we go through this process is to really be able to provide students with just multiple options of here's how we think we can achieve it and here's what it's going to cost us at the end of the day and, and really let students tell us what they want because that's what we're here to do. Okay, so a true student democracy. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so when will that occur? We are actually in the process of going through the fee request now and then hopefully if, if everything goes well, we should be able to provide some options for students you know, within the next year. And then, you know, so we're looking probably three or four years out before we really start to see some construction going on. Maybe a little sooner if we can, if we can get moving. Yeah, I mean, we're really excited to, to get some options like that out to students and let them give us some feedback and, and see how we can really expand and make Carmichael Gym really a true one facility rec center, you know? Yeah, wow, that was actually closer than I thought it would be. But in the meantime, when will this project be completed? Yeah, so we're, we're anticipating this project should last us about six months. So um, if everything continues to go as planned, we're hoping that we're going to be able to turn over phase one and open that whole space back up sometime late in the fall semester, you know, November, maybe, maybe early December before we leave for winter holiday. And then hopefully we're going to flip phase two and, and, and be done with that sometime late January, early February of 2016. So um, really a, a, short, a short-term impact if everybody can hang in there with us and, and, and help us, uh, you know, just be flexible in navigating the building and some of the banging and loud noises we'll hear. But and like I say, a quick project, really, in the grand scheme of things. All right. I'm excited for when it's all completed. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for coming down, Jason. Absolutely. Thanks for the time. For more information, you can check out the University Recreation website and search for the Locker Room Renovation Project. My name is Kevin Kronk, and this has been Eye in the Triangle. Up next, we have Sidewalk Patios in the City Council by Rachel Smith. Raleigh's Public Safety Committee implemented new restrictions regarding how late restaurants and bars can serve patrons on sidewalk patios during their meeting on July 28th. The committee, led by City Council members Marianne Baldwin, Wayne Mario Rano, and John Odom, opened the floor to comments and concerns about the controversial issue that has been haunting business owners since last May. Zach Medford, owner of Patio Beers downtown, said, I have a three-month-old son at home. I would rather be worrying about him than Patty's. In the past, restaurants and bars that utilized public sidewalks for seating had the option of keeping these areas open until 2.30 a.m. With the new ordinance, businesses will be required to shut down these areas at midnight, Sunday through Thursday, and 1 a.m. Fridays and Saturdays. The ordinance also calls for increased communication between affected business owners and the city of Raleigh. These restrictions will stay in place for a six-month trial period. The council will look at extending, dropping, or changing the restrictions in January of next year. Earlier this summer, the city attorney's office encouraged the adoption of new rules governing sidewalk use because residents of Fayetteville Street and Glidwood Avenue had begun complaining of excessive noise and trash. City officials said that they have received around 30 complaints since the beginning of June regarding crowded sidewalks, trash, and late-night noise downtown. 
Dr. John Culkin, a local physician and downtown resident, said, Most adults try to go to sleep by 10, maybe 11 at the latest. Culkin also said he holds concerns about the increased probability of obesity, cancer, and diabetes that is associated with his loss of sleep due to noise pollution coming from downtown. A number of attendees wearing blue to show support for late-night sidewalk use flooded the council meeting, filling the room with hushed chatter. Jess Cronmiller, who works as a waitress downtown, said that she, along with the majority of her co-workers and food industry counterparts, make the most money between the hours of 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Cronmiller said, People who don't make money can't spend money. That is less money made by businesses, less in taxes, and less to vendors. After polling a number of residents downtown, Jim Belt, co-founder of Downtown Living Advocates, said that he found most residents do not believe in closing down the bars that early. Belt also said that bothersome noise pollution can be dealt with with a simple bedroom fan, which he believes a number of Raleigh residents probably already own. Niall Hanley, owner of seven hospitality-based establishments in the Raleigh area, said, Living in the Hillsborough neighborhood and owning and operating businesses in downtown as well as all over Raleigh, I have always loved the vibrancy and vitality of this town. That hour of business that will be taken away is vital to many small businesses who have taken Raleigh onto their backs and built that vitality that people want in a city. Medford agreed that reducing the hours that businesses are allowed to use public sidewalks as patio space will have a detrimental effect. Medford said, People love Raleigh. They love to sit outside underneath our oak trees, look up at the Capitol, and drink a local beer that was brewed right here in Raleigh. That is the culture we are working with here. That was Rachel Smith with Eye on the Triangle. That's all we have for you this evening. I'd like to thank Kevin Cronk and Gavin Stone for contributing. As always, if you've heard anything you've liked, you've hated, or anything that made you think, let us know and tweet us at WKNC underscore EOT, where you can also catch up on more local news. Also, be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.com.